welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. As a, as a general rule, you see a warning sign, you should follow the warning sign, right? There's a reason for that warning sign, uh, because generally there's trouble ahead if you don't heed that warning. However, there are some signs that are uh, a little, I don't even know if redundant is the word, or just kind of make you shake your head a little bit. So I thought this would be a fun way to start this morning with some fun warning signs. So the first one I want to throw up is this no diving sign, no diving from the bridge, which is a normal sign. That's not a big deal. But if you notice behind the sign, there's no water. <laughs> so I'm not sure who's thinking that diving off that bridge would be a good idea, but it's good to have that sign there. Uh, but maybe in their defense, maybe that, that sign was there in a time where there's some flooding and there was some water and then there's a drought now, so the water's gone now, so maybe. Uh, this next sign, however, though, uh, is, uh, is important. <laughs> it is important. Uh, propellers can chop heads off, so you, you need to know that, because that's, that's one of those lessons you learn once, but don't get to apply uh, again. Um, so I'm wondering, though, did they test that hypothesis, or are they assuming that one? But uh, uh, here's another one. Uh, this sign has sharp edges, so don't touch the, the sign. Like, that's, uh, that's good to know. But what's really fun is, is if you keep reading, also the bridge is out, exit immediately. But I kind of noticed that that's not what the sign seems to be about. So... Uh, this one, I think they're asking for trouble. Uh, please do not throw stones at this sign. And you can see how well people have respected the sign. Uh, but again, I think they were just asking for it. Uh, and I like this one here. Uh, unattended children will be given an energy drink and taught to swear. <laughs> That's actually from our Sunday school program. So <laughs> I'm just saying. But uh, those are some fun you know, signs out there, and they're actual real signs that someone actually created and put up. Uh, but there are some other signs that we're more familiar with that are more serious. Uh, signs around, uh, you know, don't drink this, this is poison, or electrical hazards, or I saw a bunch of signs, uh, you're near a federal prison, so don't pick up any hitchhikers. Uh, those, are, those are warning signs. When ignored, you will likely invite trouble into your own world, into your own life. And I feel like the Bible has many passages like that, passages that are of this watch out for falling debris type, things that are, are warning us against some of the dangers that we uh, may face if we don't heed their warnings. And, and one such warning, I think, is found for us in the book of Jude. So the book of Jude, that's that, the second last book of the Bible, or as one friend of mine likes to call the crispy part of your Bible, because it rarely ever gets opened. And uh, it's just a small book, just one chapter. So when you see Jude 3, it's just the verse. There's no chapter attached to it. But uh, here, the Jude, he's, he's writing to these readers, and he's giving them a warning about the danger that the world has for us. And the danger about how the world is trying to draw our attention away from Jesus, from, from him. So he writes in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly 
for the faith with which was once handed down to the saints. That, that word contend earnestly in, in the Greek is epogonizomai. Almost said it well, almost, but epogonizome. And, and it's really made up of two words. The second word, agonizome, is where we get the word agony from. And this word agonize. So what is he saying? He says, I'm, I'm writing to you so you would agonize over your faith. I think, I think too often we have a, a romantic idea of what this Christian faith is all about. What faith in Jesus means, that you, you, you face a challenge, you face a trial, and, and so now you're going you're gonna to throw up a prayer, kind of like a paper airplane, just throw it up in the air and see where it lands, and, and that's it. I've, I've done a simple prayer, and that should be everything I need to do. And then we wonder why there seems to be a struggle. There seems to be a battle that continues beyond just our paper airplane prayer. And, and the reality is that the Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he talks about fighting the good fight of faith. Well, there is that same word again, that word for agony, agonize. He's, he's literally saying to Timothy, agonize the good agony. And so what we see here is the Christian life is not really for the faint of heart because the battle is real. It's not against flesh and blood, as we've said many times, but it's against spiritual forces, including the world. And that's what Jude is warning us against. Because the reality is the world does not play fair. The world does not fight with honor and integrity. It doesn't look at you and say, you know what, Wes is struggling. The Lakers are struggling and he's struggling. And so therefore they're going, you know, the world's going to take a step back and kind of give him a chance. No, the world sees you struggling and it's going to attack. It's going to come after you. It's going to, it's going to use any opportunity for us because it really shows no mercy to us. And, and so that's why, why God was saying to, to Cain, as we saw last time in, in chapter 4 or 7 of Genesis, that if your countenance is down, when you're feeling that sorrow and that sadness, sin is crouching at the door. The flesh, indwelling sin, is just waiting for that opportunity to just leap up and devour us, to attack us. And so we're in this agony, in this fight, and it's not always pretty. There's a great scene from the book, No Mercy. And if you haven't read the book, I highly recommend the book. But in the scene there, it's, it's an allegory, this, this book. And the main character represents you and I. His name is Hank. And Hank gets into this battle, this fight uh, with other spiritual forces. And, and he, he gets knocked down. And now he's on his back. And if, if you have you know, any older brothers, you know what this feels like. I had two older brothers, so this was the fighting stance for me, basically. I remember at times going into battle with these guys thinking, it's only a matter of time, so I would just drop to my back. Just might as well get there. Let's, let's save everyone some time and frustration, right? And I get to my back, and then I got my legs up and my arms up, and it was just flail. It wasn't the most masculine fighting form. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a form of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Don't check it, though. But... Um, but it, you just felt so weak and inadequate as you're standing or lying there and fighting. And so that's what's happened. And Hank gets knocked down. He's on his back. And, and so he, he kind of throws his sword away and his shield away. And he's just like flailing like a little four-year-old fighting his eight-year-old brother. And afterwards, he feels all this shame. And, and he's so embarrassed by it because he not only did that, but he did it in front of all of his friends. And his friends come up to him and they say, Hank, you, you don't understand. This is war. 
this is a battle and it's not pretty. And you fought well. You didn't give up. You kept fighting. You kept going. And, and that's what we need to learn to do. We need to have this willingness to agonize over the good agony, to contend earnestly, to never give up. Even if you're knocked onto your back and your legs are up and your arms are flailing, don't stop fighting. Be aware because your enemy is coming out to get you. And the reason for that is because, quite frankly, the world hates Jesus and what he has to offer. The world's against what Jesus is, and therefore he will be or it will be against you. In John 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. You see, what's happening here is because you and I have, have placed our faith in Jesus and Jesus is now shining through us, that light is an affront to those in darkness, to some at least. Because what that light does is it exposes their darkness. It exposes their sin, and they don't like it, and therefore, who do they blame? They blame you and me. And so Jesus is saying that if you're, if you're of me, then expect the world to hate you. Don't expect the world to love you. Now, some Christians, unfortunately, have worn this as a badge of honor, and they then go and feel like they have to be hated by the world. And so they go and do things that cause that kind of hatred. But quite frankly, it's deserved because they're just being jerks. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. You and I don't need to go anything, do anything to cause trouble other than simply place our faith in Jesus. Simply trust Jesus and let his, not just his light, but his love shine. Because that love is such an affront to some people. And so that brings us to our passage this morning. We're, we're closing off a series here that we've been going through in Genesis chapter 1 to 4, which we saw is really our origin story. And we saw the origin of the beginning and of, of Genesis and, and how God created everything and why he created everything and who he created it for and who we are now, what's our purpose and all that. And then we saw the fall, and now we're living in the consequences of that fall. And that's what chapter 4 is all about. Chapter 4 is explaining to you and I what life looks like today. And that's what makes this chapter so, so important, so, so critical for us. In fact, I, I sat there you know, for the last two weeks studying this passage and just asking God, can we just skip this passage? Because it it's not easy for me to, to look at this passage and try to draw life out of it for us. Because that's what I want to do. Every time I get up here and I want to I speak to you, what I want to do is I want to offer you life. I don't want to offer you, uh, you know, more rules or more, more things to do and strive harder or even like pump you up so you feel motivated to go do that. I want you to taste and experience the life of Jesus. Taste and experience what he's offering us. That's what I'm after. And this passage, to be honest, doesn't have a lot of that. And so I remember thinking, can we just skip it, Jesus? And he kept saying, no, I put it in there for a reason. This whole chapter is a warning. Because really what he's doing is it's a continuation of, of what he was trying to explain to us in chapter 3. Remember, we talked about the, there are two trees in the garden. What were the two trees? Anyone remember the tree of life? And the other one was the? The knowledge of good and evil. Ah, a plus plus, right? So he had the tree of life. That's the, God, that's the tree that he, God wanted Adam and Eve to eat from. And the two trees, are, are, they matter and they're relevant because that tree of life is where they could draw life from God, where they could be dependent upon God. 
But the no-no tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, notice it wasn't just a tree of evil. It wasn't just a tree of sin and immorality, of lying and cheating and so forth. It was, it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and what separated that tree from the tree of life is there was no God in that tree. There was no life in that tree. It was about independence and your own efforts and doing your best, whether good-looking or evil-looking, it was just you doing you. And so that's what these two trees were all about. And he wanted, God wanted Adam and Eve to eat the tree of life, but they instead chose the no-no tree. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they experience? Death, just as God promised they would. And so that's chapter four. And really now chapter four is a continuation of that theme, except now instead of using two trees as the illustration, he's going to use two people. He's going to use Cain and Abel. And, and Cain's going to represent the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, while Abel represents the tree of life. And we saw what happened there is that Cain hated Abel. Like I said, the world will hate you because it hates Jesus in the same way that Cain hated Abel. And so Cain murdered Abel. But the story doesn't go stop there. It's going to continue. And we're going to see that the story is just going to continue on with that picture, leading eventually to Seth replacing Abel in the story. So that's what we want to see. And how does that matter for us today? Because again, I think what God's trying to say to us over and over again is every day, throughout the day, you are presented with two choices. You can trust me, Jesus says, and experience life, or you can try to handle it on your own, or you can try to figure out life on your own, and you'll experience death. So let's pray, and let's see what God has to say with us. Well, Father... We're here this morning, and I'm trusting that you will share life, that you will, you will reveal something to us in this passage that will encourage us, that will sustain us, that will lift us up when we're struggling, especially as we're in the midst of this, this great agony, as we agonize over this fight and this, this fight of faith. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, you would be the teacher and that we would ultimately see you and your invitation in this passage. In your name we pray, amen. So we left off last time in, in Genesis chapter four where Cain had just murdered Abel and God confronted him with that and then he'd, he'd cursed Cain as a result. And, and so Cain now had to leave the presence of the Lord. So in verse 16, it says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. The word Nod literally means to, wandering. And so this idea here is he settled physically but he's not settled in his heart. He's still wandering around. He's never content. So he settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city, Cain, and named the city Enoch, named it after his son. And so what we're going to see now is that, that we're going to follow the lineage of Cain for a little bit. We're going to follow his family. And, and so he's, he's left the presence of God, he's, he's disconnected, he's separated from God, and he's just going to wander the rest of his life here on this earth. And, and he makes Enochville, or Enoch, right, after his son. And he, he can see, he's just not settled. He's always looking for something else. And so beginning in verse 18, it gives us now the lineage. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahulah, and Mahulah became the father of Methuselah, and he became the father of Lamech. That's the proper pronunciation, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't think so. 
Um, but what we see here is now, first off, a couple names. So Enoch, you recognize that Enoch name. That's not the Enoch you know. So the Enoch you and I know is the one that walked with God and then wasn't, right? The way I was told it was that him and God went on a long walk and was getting late and they looked at each other and God said, you know, we're closer to my home than yours. And so Enoch went home and he just wasn't anymore, right? So that's not this Enoch. He's, he's in the line of Seth, as we're going to see. And, and this Methuselah shell, he's not Methuselah. That's the grandfather of Noah. That's a different one. And then Lamech, also, he's not the father of Noah. That's a different one. So all these people that we're going to see in this lineage, they're actually different than the ones you know because we don't really know anything about them. All we know is really, for most of them, is just that one verse. And we can speculate on who these people are, but it would be just that, speculation. We don't know how long they lived. We don't know how old they were when they had these kids, like we do with the lineage of Seth and all of his kids. So the, basically, I think what, what the writer here is trying to record is these, these people are not that critical to the story, or at least the point, except to show the lineage or the connection that Lamech has with Cain. So if Adam's the first generation, Cain's the second generation, Lamech is the seventh generation of humanity, all coming through the lineage of Cain. And Lamech is a key part of the story here. Lamech is really going to continue the story of Cain. And so we had Cain and Abel from before. Now we're going to really see the lineage of Lamech and the lineage of Seth. So let's, let's kind of learn a little bit about Lamech. The first thing we see in verse 19 about Lamech is Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Adah and the name of the other was Zillah. So what's interesting is this is the first time we see someone taking multiple wives, taking two wives. And I think we're starting to get a, a, some insight into the character or into the nature of Lamech here, where for him, it's all about what does he get out of it? This selfish and self-centered. And, and there's a difference between those two, right? Selfish is really just only about me and I'm just going to take, 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 and I'll burn down the world as long as I'm happy and fine. That's selfish. Self-centered, though, is I might do things for other people. I might help, help out Pastor Robin and be a good guy to Pastor Robin because I know that that's going to rebound and help me later on. So I'm going to help Robin because I'm going to move and he needs to help me move sort of idea, right? That's self-centered. I'm doing things, helping other people, but really for selfish motives. And so we're starting to see that's the character of Lamech here. It's about him. He wants to take more than he gives, it's more about his pleasure, more about uh, what, he's, what he's experiencing, and less concerned about others and their well-being. But then we discover more about Lamech. And begin, we're going to skip some verses. In verse 23 and 24, Lamech, he pulls his wives aside, and he says to them, to Adah and Zillah, he says, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. And if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech is 77-fold. He, he pulls his wives aside and he's, he's sending them a message now. He says, listen up, just, just pay attention for a moment. Someone, someone hurt me, someone wounded me, and I killed him. And, and then there was a boy who just struck me and I killed him too. Let that be a lesson to you. If you cross me, if you hurt me, if you betray me, I have no problem taking you out of this world. You can see that the character and the violence of this man here. I, I was thinking about 
you know, the, the picture of Lamech, and he's, he's basically like a mob boss. This, this family is like the mafia, right, where they're just passing on this, this violence and this, this uh, anger and this, this way of selfishness and control, just passing on from one generation to the next generation. And, and the reality is, at this point, even though there's, there's six, you know, six generations after Cain is Lamech, there's a good chance that Cain is still around, the, the lifespan of many of these people were in the six, 700 years at this point because they were so close to the beginning of creation that there's a good chance that Cain was still around by the time Lamech has got these two wives. And so he's not just hearing stories about Cain, he, he knows about Cain. He maybe met Cain. And then he utters that threat. You know, if anyone hurt Cain, it was a damage of seven times over. Mine's 70 times seven. This is the other famous 70 times 7 in the Bible, by the way. A little bit different than what Jesus was saying. But you can hear the threat. You can hear the accusations that Cain has. He's all about protecting himself. And Jude calls this the way of Cain. It can be summarized as one of violence, of threats, of selfishness, and the use and abuse of others. We see it in the world today. The prophet Jeremiah, he, he warned this about, about the nature and the heart of man. He says, the heart of man without God is deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's, that's what man is apart from God. Where people is all about, I want to get mine and I don't care about the consequences to other people. And I will knock anyone down who gets in my way. Turn on the news. I mean, what we see going on in, with Putin in Ukraine, it's about he wants that territory, he wants that land, and he doesn't care about who he kills to get there. And Putin's far from the only one out there. This has been going on in our world. It just doesn't hit the news, but it's going on in all different parts of the world, and it's gone over many, many times in history. Where Rome and Alexander the Great and all these empires were all about just knocking down whoever was in their way so they could get what they wanted. That's the heart of mankind. That's the way of Cain. That's the way of the world. Well, let's let's go back to our passage for a moment because they we lead, learn something about the four children of Lamech. So he has these two wives, and with each of these wives, he has two two children. So it says that in verse twenty twenty. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. What we see here, in particular in these three sons, we really see the foundation of civilization. So in, in the first one, in Jabal, we see the, the, the farming, the, the agricultural, the rural life. And he's the father of that. So basically, he dedicated his life to farming and livestock and the animals and production of food and so forth. And we still see that to this day, where we have friends that are farmers who look after the cows or look after fields of, of, of wheat and corn to feed the, the civilization. And so that's what Jabal was the father of. Whereas Jubal was the father of the music and the arts, the creativity and the, and the culture that we see. And we have that today. We, we celebrated, or at least some celebrated it just a week ago on, with the Oscars and, and celebrating all that creativity and arts. And that could be traced all the way back to Jubal. 
And then we have Tubal Cain, who's basically the, the engineer or the industrial side of it, all about the technology, working with iron and bronze and steel, and, and, and he's making you know, maybe weapons, or maybe he's making things, tools to, to be used in the field or, or tools used to create the artistic elements. But these, these three sons really form the bedrock of society. And, and essentially what, what I think the writer is trying to show to us here is this is the world at its best. This is the good side of the no-no tree, the good side of the wrong tree, where you're going to look after the field and look after the garden. You're going to produce something of value. You're going you're to create beauty and, with arts and, and music and sound. And you're going to create technology, which is wonderful and incredible in many of its different ways. But it's simply the best that this world has to offer. And it's not enough. And no matter how, how successful you are, there's always this sense of wanting more. More money, more wives, more fame. That's the way of Cain. And that's essentially what this tree of knowledge of good and evil or the way of Cain, what the world is, it offers to you and I life, but it can't actually deliver it. It can't actually offer or can't come through at the offer. Instead, all it can do is give us death. So like drinking salt water to quench a thirst, you just end up thirstier. And so that's I think what the writer here in Genesis, Moses is trying to warn us against. But again, let's go back to, to Jude, and that's what he's warning us. And you can read it on your own time if you want, verses 5 to 16, but he's giving a long warning about the world. So in verse 11 and 16, he says, Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. They follow this path of, of violence, of selfishness, of, of getting what they want for themselves, of, of trying to fill up that emptiness in their own hearts. And sometimes doing it evil ways and sometimes doing it good ways. And then it goes on in verse 16. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Jude's warning us. He's saying that's what the world's offering to you. Don't fall for it. So as, as, as reading all the last couple of weeks and studying this passage, I kept having this image in my mind, uh, like at being at a carnival. Anyone been at a carnival or maybe seen the carnival on TV? Like I, I was just picturing this, this, you know, late in the evening, so it's dark and all the lights and the sounds and the and the bings and the bongs and everything going crazy and 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 the crowd of people and you're sort of wandering through the the, the narrow alleyway and you got on each side all of these booths. And, and, and these booths are various games, right? You, you, you hit the clown in the face and you, you win a stuffed animal or, or come in here to the, to the hall of mirrors or, or come see the, the bearded lady, right? And that sort of thing, right? All these, these different things. And I just imagine walking down that, that aisleway and at the, at the, at the booth, or sorry, the entrance of each of these booths, each of these tents, you've got a, a carnival or carny and he's barking at you. He's inviting you in. Come, come see the bearded lady. Come see the world's strongest man. Come see a Pepsi drinker. And anyway, so, so all these things, right? And he's just inviting you in to his booth. But he's, he's barking at you and he's doing it in a way because he's experienced that it sounds intriguing. It sounds, sounds interesting. And, and you're sort of looking at your, your, your pocketbook thinking, well, you know, it's only, it's only a couple dollars. Maybe, maybe he would be interested. Maybe I'll win that stuffed animal. 
not understanding that the game is actually rigged against you. You'll never win. You'll just keep paying out. And that's essentially what the world is doing to you and I. It's trying to draw us into its, its trap. And, and it's doing that in all kinds of different ways. This temptation, temptation maybe to, that in, in a relationship, that if you just find the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend, you find the right spouse, or maybe, maybe your spouse isn't enough, and so maybe you need another spouse, another partner. But then, then you'll be happy. Then, then you will feel content inside. You'll, you'll feel like a man. You'll feel like a woman. You'll feel loved and wanted and valued. You just, just come on into this tent and everything you've been dreaming about will be satisfied. Or, or maybe it's just, just more sex or better sex or, or it's money. You just need, just need a little bit more in your paycheck. Just need a little bit more in that savings account and then everything will be okay. Maybe it's fame. You know, people will, people will know who you are and you'll have that reputation and, and you'll be walking down the street and they're like, there goes Marco. That guy can give announcements like no other sort of thing, right? Fred might be eye candy, Marco, but you're the total package, my friend, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's friendships, right? Maybe it's just, just connecting with people. And, and if I just get more friends and, and they spend more time with me and the right friends, maybe it's entertainment. Just put on some movies or, or, or watch sports and, and be entertained that way and just, just escape the pressures of this world, escape the stress. Maybe I'm thinking if I just get the, the good job, if I get the career I want, and if I work at the right place, if I could just work for Jim, everything would be wonderful because he's such a great boss. Then everything would be good. You're welcome, Greg. <laughs> Maybe it's adventure. Go bungee jumping. Go, go skydiving. Go out into the bush for three weeks on your own, right? You, you do some kind of exciting thing. That will feed your soul. That will be everything you need. Or, or maybe you just need another hobby. You know, playing sports, uh, playing golf, playing pickleball or scrapbooking or, or making art, making music. Please understand, none of that is wrong or bad. It's all fine. It's all the good. The problem is what we do is that what the world is saying is you could find what you're looking for in those things on their own. And our, slowly our attention is going away from Jesus onto those things onto your spouse, onto your career, onto your bank account, onto how many people like you on Facebook and how many people respond to it. You might even look to ministry then to be what fills you up and satisfies you. And you know you're doing that in all these things because you will feel so much discontentment when it finally seemingly works. When, when you get the friend, when you get the girl, when you get the boy, when you, when you get the promotion and and you're still longing for more. And you realize how empty it is. Because there's only one person that can satisfy all that, and that's Jesus. He needs to be the source. And so I can love joy, and joy can love me, but I know that what I'm, what I'm hoping for isn't coming from joy, it's coming from Jesus. And so if she's not able to or doesn't cooperate with Jesus and, and doesn't show that, that love and respect that I'm looking for, I don't attack her for it. Instead, I love, trust Jesus to show me how he wants to provide for it another way, in a healthy way, in a way that truly satisfies for us. 
And I think, I think that's the key to this passage, key to understanding in this passage, is that we see this, this choice here. Who will be your source? Is it what the world's offering or what Jesus is offering? That's what's important. Well, let's come back to our passage here now because up to this point, it's all been about the, the way of Cain and the family of Cain and now Lamech and the violence and the self-centeredness. But then in verse 25, God's going to show us the other option here. It says in verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now, we don't know when uh, Seth was born. I, I, I'm, I don't believe that Seth would have been born at the same time as Lamech. That, you know, Cain had all these six generations after him, and then finally they had another child. I imagine that Seth would have been born around the same time that Enoch was born. That, that by that point, um, uh, so, so that second generation of Cain would have been, uh, again, the, you know, a, a descendant straight of Adam and Eve. And Seth means substitution. And so what God wanted to do through Abel because of Abel's death, God will now do through Seth. And Seth now represents the other option, the other alternative. And it, and it says about Seth in verse 26, to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he was called Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now we're going to go on. If you were to go on in chapter 5, you'd read all about the, the line of Seth. Seth becomes now the, the key part of the story, and we don't really hear about the line of Cain except for when a writer is warning us about the way of Cain or they're like Cain. The rest of the story is now going to follow Seth all the way to, to Noah and the flood and onward. But what I found interesting here is that last verse here, the men, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So it tells us again, Cain, Cain was separate and all of his family rejected God. And they were all about trying to make the best of this world. What a sad and empty thought that is. Because this world is but a twinkle in time. And, and no matter how big of a legacy you create, it will be passed on to someone else. Alexander the Great, by, by 30 years old, had in a massive empire, only to die soon afterwards, and all of it had to be broken up to his four generals. Gone. Caesar, Augustus. Great empire, stabbed in the back, gone. No matter what you build here, it will be passed on to someone else. That's what Solomon was discovering in Ecclesiastes. That everything he wanted, everything he sought for in this world, he knew, I one day will have to pass it off. And it won't be mine anymore. This world is not where we're to store up our treasures. This world cannot deliver what you and I need. Instead, it comes as we call upon the name of the Lord as we trust in him, not just for salvation. Because you might be thinking, I did that. I did that when I was six, or I did it when I was 16, or I did it when I was 22. We're still hoping for Jeremy to do it one day. So, you know, that, that may happen. That's already happened. That's not what I talk, I'm talking about. That's not what God's wanting us to do. Because just as you and I were saved in him, we are to continue to walk in him, it says in Colossians 2.6. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord today, right now, trust him for life. Trust him for the love you need for your family. Trust him for the, the patience you need when you go to work or if you're staying home with the kids. That's what he's inviting us to do each and every day. 
opposed to following the way of Cain, of that selfishness, of that cruelty that sometimes expresses itself in violence. And I think that's the key for us. So the Apostle Jude, he said it so well in his letter, I just want to come back to it again. He says in verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that, that phrase there, he says, remember the, the, what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said to you. This, this is why we, we preach, why we speak out of the, God's word each and every Sunday. That, that I'm not up here to offer you my way of living, my philosophy, my ideas, my thoughts. You, quite frankly, do not want that because there's no hope in that. What we do is we come back to the scriptures because the scriptures contain for us the writings of the apostles, the apostle Paul, apostle John, apostle Peter, apostle Jude. And, and we're, we're reading from them because what these apostles were teaching is what Jesus gave to them about what it means to live today, what it means to live under the new covenant, what it means to live as a Christian. And so he says, remember these words. And that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Couldn't that have been written hours ago? You know, I think about God's Word and how timeless it is. I mean, it's funny. You, you read some books. If you want to have some... Uh, some laughs, or you might get angry and offended. Go read a book from the 1950s about what it means to be a wife. The instructions there are, when your husband comes home, make sure you've had a shower and you put on your best outfit, spray some perfume on there and have the meal ready. Have the kids sorted so when your husband comes home, he can sit on the couch, you can bring him his, his paper, you can rub his feet all your makeup stuff. You know, it doesn't sound so bad, actually. <laughs> we need to learn from our elders, folks. No. You read that and you're like, that's not, that doesn't fit for today. Maybe that was, maybe that was wise counsel at the time, but it's not why. It, it's not timeless. And that tells you it's not truth. Truth, truth is timeless. Truth is like honey. It, it, it never goes out of fashion. It never goes bad. And that's God's word for us. Because the reality is, is while we've, we've changed, we've learned things and technology and science, people are still people. People have not changed one bit since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We're still desperately looking for life and the world is offering us a solution. But he says, don't listen to them because these people, the world, they're mockers. They're following after their own godly lusts. They're going to cause divisions. They're worldly minded and they're devoid of the spirit. And we see it today. We see it in our leaders. We see it even in some of our friends and our coworkers. Society hasn't gotten better. It's learned some things and it's smarter in some areas, but that in some ways just makes it more cruel. Instead, he goes on, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I love that phrase, building ourselves up, building yourselves up, but through faith, that most holy faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the one thing he wants from you and I. 
It's not, it's not your, your service and working hard and so forth and pulling up your bootstraps. What he's looking for is simply your trust and your faith in him. That's it. And as we're doing that, as we trust in him, you will benefit from it. You will experience that life. And remember, he's coming back. That that king is coming. He's going to come back one day. And we're going to be overjoyed to see him. And the world will not be. It goes on. And then he says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So he's saying, I love this. Have mercy on those who are struggling. If you see a brother or a sister and, and they don't quite have the faith you have, what's the invitation? Show them mercy. Show them compassion. It's not that like, well, if you just trusted more, you're just a better Christian. No, show them mercy and compassion. And then there are those who don't yet know Jesus. And the invitation is towards evangelism. Snatch them from that fire. Snatch them from that judgment. Invite them into the, to the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And that means sharing our faith. And, and I think the least effective way is just to jump on a street corner and start preaching. Although I'm not saying don't do it if God asks you to. I'm just saying it's probably the least, least effective way. The most effective way is your family and your friends, your coworkers, people who know you. And I know that it can be terrifying. You're like, I, I just don't know how to, to, to start the conversation, how to start the, the subject with them. And, and maybe here's a simple way. Just walk up to them and say, you know, my family and I, we like to pray for people. How can we pray for you? Just a simple conversation. Then. And it's amazing how maybe their guard gets up and like, I don't believe in that. Get out of here. Mm, okay, that's fine. And you're, you're sort of like what Jesus said to the disciples about, you know, kick the sand off your sandals and move on. That's fine. That, if they don't want it, that's okay. That's their choice. But then there might be others and they, they might kind of let their guard down for a moment. And for just a moment, not everything's fine anymore. And they say, well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, we just got some bad news the other day. I just, just found out that my, my mother has cancer or my my wife has this issue or we don't, we don't know what's going to happen with our child. Our child's really struggling. They haven't bounced back since the end of COVID and they're really struggling over that. Thank you for praying for me. And now you can go and pray for them with your family and you can come back to them a couple days later and say, we've been praying for you. How's it going? And you're talking to them about it and you're opening up that invitation. And then that can lead to another conversation, to another conversation where you can say, you know, why prayer works so much is because of we have a faith in Jesus, a very real Jesus. You know, he wants to be that to you. You don't need me to be your middleman. If you want, you can trust Jesus. And right there, you're there to share the gospel with that person. Snatching them from the fire. And we all have that opportunity if we're willing to take, take Jesus up on the invitation. Well, let's, let's close with a benediction. Again, going back to the book of Jude, because he just does it so well. He ends the book in verse 24. Now to him, to Jesus, who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence, in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. I love that verse. Now to, now to God, now to Jesus, who will keep you from stumbling. Just imagine, like, you kind of, you picture there are some people, you look at them and you think, 
You know, Mark's going to stumble into the kingdom. He's just going to get in there by the skin of his teeth sort of deal, right? Like he's going he's to trip his way in, but he'll cross the finish line, but barely. If that were the case for Mark, you know what Jesus would do? He'd grab him by the collar and he said, no, 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 you're not going to fall. I got you. And he's going to make him stand in God's presence, blameless. Think about that. In the Old Testament, anytime someone had an encounter with God, what were they doing? Face plant. Nose first in the dirt, right? Three inches below the dirt line would be preferred if you can make it, but it's, it's prostate yourself. You worm, you don't deserve this. You're horrible. You see it today. You meet the queen. You meet the royalty. What do you do? You bow. You, come, you, you show deference. If anybody deserved that, it would be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself. And he says, if you try to prostrate yourself in front of me, I'll pick you right back up. Because I, Jesus says, I will make you stand in my presence, blameless and holy, with great joy. It's a good thing he's holding me up because my knees will buckle. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That's the God you get to trust in. That's the God that's with you right now. That's the God that will be with you later today and this evening and throughout the week. Walk with him. Talk with him. Trust him. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for the fact that you're with us and you're here, that we don't have to figure out life on our own terms. That instead, Lord Jesus, you want to, you want to be life to us in a way that this world can't. With all of its bells and its whistles and its siren call, you are that one that will offer us peace and joy and contentment and overflow us with it. I pray that we will be a people of trust and faith, people that will walk with you, people that will show mercy to those who are struggling, who are doubting, and even be willing to risk rejection as we share this faith in you, as we invite our friends and our family and our coworkers to experience life in you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.